0: As I was going through high school and as I was going into college, um, it was pretty obvious to most people that I, I was called to be a pastor, that I wanted to be a pastor when I grew up. So I was in religion courses, I was in seminary, and so as I was growing up, people would always ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And to kind of subvert their expectations, I always thought it was cute, and it was also true That I just would answer and I would say, I want to be a good husband and a good father. That's what I want to be when I grow up. And I thought if I could do those things, then I would be happy. That's what I wanted to do. And so um, Joanna and I were married in 2006. Is that right? Yes, okay. Good husband, and uh, and you know there was seven years before we had children, and so we worked on being a good husband. And then we had children, and uh, you know as we were having children, I remembered you know I want to be a good husband, and so regularly my wife and I we have to remind each other that it's the two of us versus the children, right? You know, kind of remember whose whose team you're on. It's a good thing to do every now and then. And then also as we were raising children, I wanted to be a good father, and so. When we were pregnant with Clementine, we got parenting books, and I went, we went and got some parenting books, and I don't remember the name of this book, I wish I did, because um, I use the story a little bit, but the first page in this book, you open it up, and it says, if you are the kind of person who would buy this parenting book, don't worry, you're already a good parent. So I closed that book, and I didn't read another word. I figured I already got it. (laughs) As I've been parenting and as I've been trying to uh, teach our children the ways that they should go, I've understood how important it is that they handle disappointment well, right? Handling disappointment well is going to be key in their life growing up. So parenting tip from Pastor Rick, as you're raising your children, um, teach them how to handle disappointments. So tell them no to everything that they could possibly ask for, right? So I'm kind of, you know, my kids ask me for a lot of stuff, and we tell them no a lot, and we tell them no, you can't have this, can't have this, can't have this, and trying to teach them to handle disappointment. Well, last week, um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation sent us to Orlando for, um, for seven days at Disney World. If you don't know, uh, my daughter had brain emergency brain surgery last January. Um, she had a vein rupture in her brain. Um, It was a dire situation, and it has been a miraculous recovery after six weeks in the hospital. um, She has come through incredibly well, and we're still working, still have some therapies to go through, but we are just blown away with her recovery. And so the Make-A-Wish Foundation sent us to Florida, and Joanna and I, we kind of said to ourselves, you know, this week, We're going to be yes people. We're going to say yes to our kids, whatever they want. Ice cream with breakfast, all the theme parks, candy, sugar, toys, we're going to say yes. We just want to be yes people. And at Give Kids the World Village, which is the place that we stayed at, um, every single night they have a different holiday every evening. And so the first night we got there, it was Halloween. They do this because Give Kids the World Village is for Make-A-Wish families. And for a lot of the kids um, in Make-A-Wish programs, uh, they may have missed a holiday while they were in the hospital. So at Give Kids the World Village, the place we were staying, every night they had uh, another holiday so that kids could fully celebrate um, whatever holiday maybe they missed. So the first night we were there was Halloween, and so our kids got tons and tons of candy. They dressed up, and they took their bags full of candy back um, back to our room, and I am sure that they expected for me to say what I normally say on Halloween, which is, no, you don't get to eat any of your candy. <laughs> but we let them have some candy. And I think the kids are starting to go, wait a second, who is this parent? They started asking, can we have ice cream? Yeah, you can. Can we watch a show? Yeah, you can. Can we play with this toy? And, and the kids started to understand, wait a second, I think my dad is saying yes to a bunch of stuff right now. And so we were saying yes, and as they started to understand that we were being yes parents, their requests started to escalate as well, right? And we started to find the limits of our yes parenting because, yes, they were asking for more sugar, more toys, more roller coasters. They were asking also for less sleep and less real food and less good water. And you need all those things if you're going to enjoy everything. So even though we want to be yes parents, there are things that we have to negotiate in order for our kids to be truly happy. Our scriptures today tell us that God wants to be a yes God. God wants to give you the things that you want. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to enjoy this world. But God knows the things that you need in order to enjoy this world. Jesus, with his disciples, he teaches them how they ought to pray. The disciples come to Jesus one day, and they say, Jesus, how do we get the stuff we want from God, right? How should we pray? Teach us how to pray. Isn't it interesting that prayer is something that we have to learn? That prayer is something that can be taught. Prayer is something that we can get better at. Jesus accepts their offer and he says, Let me let me teach you how to pray. When you pray, say these things. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that we're all familiar with. It's a prayer that we pray every Sunday in both of our services. Now, the prayer that we pray is from Matthew's Gospel. It's a different version. It's from a a different gospel in the New Testament. And it's also in the King James Translation. We do that because it's tradition. This is the way I learned it when I was a kid. This is the way my parents learned it when they were kids, grandparents, and so on and so forth. The King James Version of the Lord's Prayer is tradition, and there's something good about tradition. When I say something in a traditional language, it unites me with all the Christians that have come before me. It reminds me that the church is a garden that I didn't plant. It's a garden that I'm taking care of, that I'm a part of now, but I didn't start it. I belong to a larger community that reaches back in history. So it's good that we pray these traditional words. Now, there's kind of a problem sometimes when traditional words become rote, when they just become, you know, ritual, and when they become you know, mundane and easily known. And we start to forget the meaning of the prayers. And so it's good for us to hear the Lord's Prayer in some different words, in a different language, or a different translation. And so Luke gives us the Lord's Prayer, but he gives us in a different way. He shortens it to kind of give us the bare bones, here's what's really important, here's what the Lord's Prayer is about. It starts out with, Father, Uphold the holiness of your name. This is just kind of the greeting. And that's kind of a weird language, also. We usually say, Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. What it really means is, Father, you are as close to us as a parent. And yet, your name is divine and holy. It is cosmic. It is universal. It is beyond our comprehension. That's what holy is. Your name, the name that you revealed to Moses, the Y-H-W-H, sometimes we pronounce it Yahweh, the unspeakable name of God. It is cosmic, it is holy, you are beyond our imagination, and yet we still call you Father. We still call you loving parent. You are a paradox. You are close to us and you love us, and yet you are beyond our wildest dreams. This is how we address God. God who is at once imminent to us, and also at the same time beyond us in every way we can imagine. Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Father, you are close to us, and we admit that we can't know you fully. Here's the real heart of the prayer. Bring in your kingdom, period, is the way Luke has it. Bring in your kingdom, which makes a lot of sense because these are the first words of Jesus's ministry. He says, get ready, be prepared. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's all about bringing in God's kingdom. It's all about bringing in God's will, God's righteousness, God's reign into this world. In Matthew's version, it's, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We hear in Luke he says this is the prayer, bring in your kingdom. Well what does your kingdom mean? What does that mean to bring in your kingdom? The rest of the prayer explains what that means. Give us our bre- our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Meet our needs, feed your people. This is God's kingdom that everyone eats. This is God's kingdom that everyone gets their needs met. This is God's kingdom that everyone has what they need. As Christians, we believe that God has provided a world of abundance. We believe that God has provided enough so that everyone can have what they need. Now, we live currently in a broken and rough world where some have way more than they should have, way more than they need, and others don't have enough to make it through the day. And so our prayer, God, bring in your kingdom, is a prayer to balance these scales, to make things right, to make sure all who are hungry can eat, all who are thirsty can drink, those without homes can live in houses. This is our prayer. Bring in your kingdom. Give everyone what they need it would be ridiculous for us as Christians to pray that prayer and then do nothing about it. This is why as Christians in the United Methodist Church, in this church, we take seriously the need to go out and care for God's people, to give, to provide, to make sure that people eat. Now, as a church, we can't solve all the ills of this world but we can say to God, God, what is your kingdom will for our church? Who are we called to care for? And as we seek out that will, as we pray this prayer, God brings opportunities to us. God brings us opportunities to partner with the church on the southern coast of Oaxaca, to care for a church whose walls have crumbled in, to help them build a new church, to go and provide Uh, Water filters that provide last year over 120,000, 120 million liters of water for community that didn't have clean water sources. This year, we sent down five people to continue the work on that church and to also provide eyeglasses for people to see. I mean, I think when we pray the prayer, "Give us our daily bread." I think it also means, God, help us to see. You know, we got glasses for everyone. And so for people their whole lives haven't been able to see well mending their own clothes and sewing. Now they have glasses. God, make things right. Give your people what they need. Right now we have people in Kenya helping build houses, helping provide for a school and a hospital. Lord God, give us your daily bread. Provide for your people. Give your people what they need. This is why we send our teenagers to Youth 2019 at the largest gathering of United Methodist uh, teenagers so that they can experience God in a fun, incredible way, but also partner together and pack hundreds and thousands of pounds of food for people in emergency situations. We pray, God, bring in your kingdom. Give us our daily bread. Provide for all your people. This is what God's kingdom is about. When we also pray, bring in your kingdom, we pray the next part as well, which is, forgive us our sins. God, relieve us of the weight of the burden of shame and sin. Relieve us of the burden of our past failures and mistakes. (laughs) Can you take this heavy weight off of me so that I can walk forward in newness of light? God's kingdom is about relieving people of those burdens, relieving people of those shameful moments and those, those failures and mistakes and saying, "Hey, yeah, you may have screwed up, and that might be the reason why you got yourself in this situation, but God's kingdom is here, and you are forgiven. So when we pray, and when we pray, God, bring in your kingdom, we're also praying God, bring forgiveness of sins, lift our heavy burdens. And the next part, Luke changes the words. He doesn't say, as we forgive other people their sins, but we say, as we forgive people who have wronged us. God, help us to break down the barriers that separate brothers and sisters from one another. Help us to break down the barriers that hold us from loving each other in our community. The kingdom of God is about rebuilding community. Is about making sure nobody is alone. So when we pray, bring in your kingdom, we're also praying, God, whatever barriers or walls or whatever things kind of that we're holding against each other, whatever keeps us from loving each other fully and caring for each other, God, bring those down. Help me to forgive. Help us to forgive each other. Help us to link arms and arms to be a part of your kingdom. Lord God, bring in your kingdom. And lastly, uh, the common English Bible. I don't think there's any really great English translations of the Bible, by the way. Um, I think they all have their flaws and they all have their decisions that are made by committee. It's why every 10 years there's another, I mean, every five years probably, another new English translation that comes out and that they're working with. But um, in the Common English Bible, it says, and lead us not into temptation, which is, the, the word temptation there, it's also the same word as trial. Lead us not into trial, which I think is the better word here. The idea here is looking forward to that end date, looking forward to that final judgment, and it says, God, lead us not into the trial where the, ver- where the guilty verdict will be named against me, Lord God, save us from going before the judge and having our list of faults put in front of us and for the gavel to come down and the sentence to come against us. Lord God, forgive us our sins and lead us not into that trial. Lead us not into that destruction, that guilty verdict. When we pray that prayer, When we pray, God, forgive us, when we pray, God, don't hold our sins against us, don't bring us to that trial where there is a guilty verdict for us, we are at one point asking God for forgiveness, but at the same time, we are confessing that you are the God who forgives, that in your kingdom, You set people free. You don't hold people's pasts or sins against them. This is the way we should pray. This is what Jesus says we should pray. To pray for God's kingdom, to pray that God makes things right in this world, that God provides for all people, that we join in that provision, that we are released and set free from our past and our sin and our shame, that we break down the walls of division, that keep us from loving one another. Lord God, bring in your kingdom. Jesus says, this is how we should pray, desiring God's kingdom. And then Jesus goes on and he says, I want you to change the way you think about God. I want you to change the way you think about prayer. I want you to change the way you think about God. God is not some vending machine in the sky where you punch it, you put in your quarters, you push the right button, and you get your Diet Coke. That is not who God is. God is also not some angry mob boss that you have to walk into his office, shuffling your feet, averting your eyes, and kissing his ring in order to get what you want. This is not who God is. Instead, he says, I want you to think about God as a friend, a friend who you know so well that you will wake them up in the middle of the night to ask for a favor. He says, this is what God's like. Think about yourselves. If you had guests over and you didn't have enough bread for everyone, interesting that he uses the analogy bread for everyone. He go and you go to your friend, you knock on their door in the middle of the night. You say, hey friend, sorry to bother you. I've got friends here who don't have enough bread. I know that you've got bread. Can you get up and give my friends some bread? And imagine that friend says, oh, it's the middle of the night. No, go away. He says, even though that friend says no, that friend will still do it. Because he's not, if it's not just out of friendship, it's because of your desperation that you would ask in the middle of the night, your brashness, that that friend would get up and give you bread. If your friend would do things like that for you, how much more will God Give you what you need. God wants to answer your requests. I mentioned, you know, I've got friends that will care for me. I've got friends that I can ask for things and favors in the middle of the night. I know that I have these friends because I've asked them. They've cared for me. And I want to be a friend that does that too. And in fact, Right now, I I need a favor. I need to borrow a pickup truck tomorrow. So if anybody can do that, um, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Actually, somebody from the first service already gave or already let me know. So we're uh, so I am good, but I wrote that in the sermon, so I had to say it again. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. If I can find a pickup truck that way. <laughs> um, God is happy to answer your prayers and give you what you need. Don't think about God like an angry mob boss. Think about God as a friend that you can ask a favor in the middle of the night. More than that, God is not just as close as a friend, but God is like a parent. Think about this, those of you who are parents. When your kids ask for something that they need, when they ask for breakfast, do you give them poison? No. When they ask for a fish, do you give them snakes? No. When, you, when they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? No. You give them the food that they need. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does God, and we would expect that Jesus would say, does God give good gifts? But here Jesus changes it a little bit. He says, if you who, know how to, who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more Will God give you the Holy Spirit? And here is the last key to the kingdom of God. When we pray, God, bring in your kingdom, we are praying for bread for everyone. We are praying for a liftedness from our burdens. We are praying for the walls of division to come down between us. But we are also praying for God's own presence to be with us and to guide us in every moment Holy Spirit come and guide us. Here Jesus says, God is a yes God. God wants to answer your prayers. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. But what is God saying yes to? He is saying yes to being present to us fully in the Holy Spirit. God is saying yes to us. If we ask, God, we need you with us. We need your strength. We need your love. We need your power. God says, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Why? Because this is what you need in order to enjoy everything else. You need me to be with you. I will guide you, I will bring in the kingdom, and you will be happy. I think sometimes, well, whenever we talk about answered prayers, our minds immediately go to those moments when our prayers aren't answered, right? We go to those moments when our prayers aren't answered. The Scripture doesn't say, pray for whatever you want and you'll get whatever you want, but it says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray for God's kingdom, and God will always say yes. If you want to be happy, if you want to be happy, align your desires with God's desires for this world, if you align your desires with God's desires for this world, then ask for those things, and God will say yes, and you will be happy. Pastor, what do we do about those things that I think when I'm asking for something that is good, when I ask for something that is honest and right, what do I do when those prayers don't get answered? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why in every case prayers don't get answered. I don't. I wish I had a good answer for you. But I can say this, when your prayers go unanswered, when suffering persists, I can say that you are in good company. Because at least in Scripture, at least in the New Testament, there are two people who I know did not get their prayers answered. Paul, the first great missionary of the church, um, a pastor of many churches. Most of the New Testament are his letters. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, tells us that he prayed to God, that he had some sort of pain in his side, and we don't know what that pain was or maybe who that pain was, but God prays, or Paul prays, would you relieve me of this pain? He prays three times, and God says no, and God says but my grace will be sufficient in your weakness. So we know Paul prays for something and doesn't get an answer. The other person in the New Testament who prays for something and doesn't get an answer is Jesus. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus goes to his favorite prayer spot, the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. He knows that there's suffering ahead of him. And he prays fervently, God, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, let's do that. Don't let me go through this. But Jesus tacks on another thing. He says, and yet, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus aligns his own desires with God's desires. And yeah, he goes through suffering. Yeah, he goes through death. But as Hebrews, as the book of Hebrews says, it is for the joy that was set before him that he endured all these things. When we align ourselves with God's purposes, it is for the joy that is set before us. Disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus says, God wants to be a yes God. But if you want to be happy, if you want to get your yeses, align your will with God's will align your desires with God's desires. It's not something that we do easily or all the time. It's something that we have to do often and regular. When we pray God bring in your kingdom, we have to also pray God bring in your kingdom in my life. What do you want me to do? What is your will for me this week, this day, you know? What do you want me to do? How can I see my tasks right now today? as bringing your kingdom in this world. How can I find my tasks today to be a way of loving you and loving your neighbor? How can I find my task today to be a part of your kingdom work? Lord God, bring in your kingdom. Help me to align my life with your kingdom. Help me to align my family with your kingdom. Help me to align my church with your kingdom. As we pray for the things that we want and need, we have to ask Help me to align with your kingdom. And finally, it is something that we have to do constantly and regularly. And The scriptures actually say in the Greek, it says, while you're asking, um, you will receive. While you are seeking, you will find. While you are knocking, you will have the doors opening to you. It's strange, but in the Greek, it means do this continually continually ask, continually seek, continually knock, continually pray. What does it mean to continually pray? I think, I think it means this. I could be wrong, but I think it means this. I think it means to always be aware of God's presence wherever you are at all times, whether you are doing a, a meaningless task, <laughs> a mundane task, whether you're doing something incredibly important, whether you are driving, whether you're watching TV, whether you're watching your kids, whether, whatever you're doing, to be aware that God's presence is at work and moving right then and there, and to have a corner of your brain always aware of God's presence, saying, God, am I paying attention to the right things? God, what would you have me say and do right now in this moment? God, is my desire lined up with your desire? This is continual prayer. It takes practice. It's something that we can learn to do. It's something that can be taught. When we come to worship, we practice this continual prayer. We practice being focused for a period of time of thinking about nothing but God, so that when we leave this place, we are practiced in thinking about God and being aware of God's presence. That's what we do in worship. The disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, here's what you do ask for God's kingdom to come. Here's what it looks like. Food for everyone. Needs met. Sins forgiven. Walls of the division broken down. And as you pray and as you participate in the kingdom, God will say yes and yes and yes.